0: I'm going to need your help uh, this evening. First thing I need from you is a girl's name, beginning with D. Diane, okay, I'll try and remember that one. Diane, and I need a boy's name, beginning with D. Whoa, let's go with Derek. Let's go with Derek. So we've got Diane and Derek, okay. I want you to fast forward, maybe it's uh, to the end of this service, maybe fast forward a few days into next week. Uh, A friend comes to you. And shares uh, just how they are doing. And we're working very hard this evening. And hopefully, uh, the the sort of how these people are feeling will appear on the screen in a moment. Um, it's, It's Diane. And she is totally drained. It's Derek. He's totally discouraged. They're just done with what's going on. They're just feeling got at. feels like life is just going all the wrong way. They're exhausted, they're fed up, and they're ready to give up. Okay? With the people you're sitting near, let's take two minutes now and just think through what might be some of the things you'd want to say uh, to uh, drained Diane or discouraged Derek. What things might you want to say You can decide whether they're a Christian or not. And maybe come up with two or three things you'd want to say to them when they come to you and share that they're just feeling done in. So with a few people sitting around you, what are you going to say to them? Go. Okay, I'm going to call us uh, back together. And it would just be great to hear maybe a couple of glimpses of, of the advice that Diane or Derek would get if they were to come to any of us. Uh, this group here, a piece of advice you want to give them? Go to bed, fair enough. Anything from here? Tell me about it. I also heard, give them some cake. I think it's great advice and tea, yeah, yeah. Anything back, back corner over there, anything from you guys, any bits of advice you want to give them? Have a Chinese, have a Chinese, or a food that you like, yeah, 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 yeah. Anything from towards the back? Life is always worth living. Look for some positives. Yeah, yeah. Anything back? Anything you want to add? You're not alone. Okay. It will soon pass. Okay. So, but yeah. Between us, we've probably got quite a lot to, um, quite a lot to offer. Well, I want to just rewind. Having fast forward, press fast forward. We're going to press rewind to last week. And if you were with us, uh, we were with Elijah in 1 Kings 18. We were on top of Mount Carmel for a massive fight. The big showdown of the Old Testament, one of them anyway. Uh, God, the living God, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel versus Baal, the false God, the fake God. The contest, the God who answers by fire. Well, they're the real God and they're the God to follow. What did Baal do? Well, he gave no attempt to answer by fire. We're told there's no response, no one answered, nobody paid attention. Then God sends a fire, doesn't he, on a pile of wood that is soaking wet, sitting in a puddle. No matches, no lighter, it all goes up. What a moment that must have been for Elijah. Remember, it was him versus 450 others with the people of God around watching. One four. what a moment for Elijah. Oh, must have been so good. He's just been shown to be right. He was right all along. God's people see what happens. And they fall down, we're told, and they cry, the Lord, he's God. The Lord, he is God. It's the change Elijah the prophet has been longing for, waiting for, working for, praying for. It's happened. And now is going to be a time, isn't it, of God's blessing. Suddenly it starts to rain. It hasn't rained for three years. God's kept the rain away and now it starts to rain. Surely that's a sign of God's blessing. And then we're told that King Ahab, he's a pantomime villain of a king. We're told he sees it all. Surely this means things are going to change. Elijah's imagining a whole society being changed and transformed. The King Ahab gets back into his chariot. He rides his chariot back to the uh, capital city, Jezreel. And Elijah, we're told, is empowered by God. He he kind of uh, tucks in his t-shirt and he legs it in front of the chariot. In front of Ahab on the chariot. As if to say, God has won. This is a new start. It's brilliant. What a moment. It must have been for Elijah. We're going to pick up the story now. In 1 Kings chapter 19. Greg's going to come down and read it for us. And you can pick up a brand new church Bible. It's very exciting. We have got these out. Uh, a big thank you to uh, the, the donation that made these possible. We're in 1 Kings chapter 19. We're on page 360. And Greg's going to read for us.
1: Today's reading is 1 Kings chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, "'May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, "'if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them.'" Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. He traveled for forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, "Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel-Mehola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put you to death. Uh, Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael." and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all who knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Craig. So we have Elijah there, don't we? He goes from, from running with all he's got in front of the king's chariot, full of energy, full of hope, to feeling like he can't take another step, sitting down under a tree, exhausted, and asking God to take his life. Within the space of a few words, everything changes for Elijah. And isn't that our experience in life as well? All it takes is a knock on the door, or a phone call, or a conversation out of the blue. It might be a diagnosis that comes from the doctor or a result that comes through from a scan. Maybe it's an announcement from your parents or or close friends to say they're separating or from a boyfriend or girlfriend to say, well, things aren't working out. Or from a husband or wife to say that they're leaving. And maybe it's uh, exam results or an interview that you thought you had nailed. It's gone totally the other way. Or maybe it's your call to a meeting with your boss and told you're being made redundant, or a letter or a call from your landlord to say you're being evicted. You see, for Elijah, it just took one person, didn't it, to undo everything, the king's wife, Jezebel. Jezebel was totally against God, and she was totally for Baal. She hadn't been there for the mountain? Fire on the mountain, So what? thought Jezebel, when she could just wipe Elijah out no bother. As if he was just a bit of dried up ketchup on a plate that needs washing up. Whatever Jezebel is up to, those hopes Elijah had for change in people, for a time of God's blessing, to see transformation in society, well, it disappears faster than a flash of lightning. And we're told, verse 3, aren't we, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And if you've got a Bible actually open or you you might be on your phone, there might be a little note next to it, a little asterisk, or I think it's a little A in my Bible. Uh, It takes you down to the bottom. Uh, Where it says Elijah was afraid, it could also mean Elijah saw. Is Elijah totally, is he afraid? I mean, is he that worried about Jezebel killing him when he wants God to kill him? I wonder if actually it's saying that Elijah sees what's going on, but actually all his hopes have dried up and he gets as far away as he has the energy for. He doesn't, he doesn't want to die at the hands of Jezebel, but he's given up. He's totally given up. He gives up his job. We're told he sends his servant away. He sends his right-hand man away with his P45 and he goes and sits under a tree, gives up. I wonder if you've ever been in that place if you're in that place this evening. Uh, most of us have probably been in that place at some point, if we're not there at the moment. And if you haven't, well, there'll probably be a time when you will. I think it's probably going too far to say Elijah in this story is suicidal because, you know, he doesn't try and take his life. He, he's not given up on God. He brings his whole situation, everything that's happened to God, and says, God, it's, it's down to you, and I can only see one possible way to Maybe it's happened to you because you've just tried to do too much and it's caught up with you. Maybe you you feel like you couldn't be any more battered by life and yet you look around at the people near you and they're getting through life without a scratch on them. Or or maybe you feel like you, you had that amazing moment where you were bold and you talked to somebody about your faith in Jesus. It was an amazing moment. And then you found yourself going and doing something stupid. You shouted at somebody else you looked at porn you found yourself telling a lie to get yourself out of a tricky situation and, and you just kind of feel like nothing has changed. maybe you are just worn out from carrying the expectations the burdens the emotions of other people. maybe you hear all this talk kind of from in services of, of, of life to the full that Jesus brings life as it's meant to be lived experiencing God's blessing and you're waiting for it to turn up in your life. Maybe you had great hopes for that job, that relationship, that house move and it all feels like it's let you down. I wonder what you do in those moments. I wonder if you're a hedgehog or a rhino. I don't know which one you want to be. Are you a hedgehog? Do you end up in a heap And you find yourself curling up in a ball and retreating from the world. Or you like a rhino and you plow on and you're thick-skinned. You don't show any emotion. Or alternatively, you plow on and you just get more angry and more aggressive about life. Doesn't Elijah's experience here tap into our experience of life? It's like drained Diane and discouraged Derek at the beginning. What is it that God does for Elijah? What is it that we need when we land up in this place? Well, I think it is to know and experience that it is God who is God and to know and experience that this is a God of grace. He's good to, uh, towards us even though we don't deserve it. So what do we find are some of the things that happens next to Elijah. Have a look down at the, um, the, the passage again. So, after verse uh, 4. Elijah says, Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. What are some of the things that happen to Elijah next? Feel free to shout out. What are some of the things that happen? An angel touches him. Yeah. Anything else happen? He's fed. The angel touched him, wakes him up, and um, brings him some bread, gives him something to eat. Yeah. What else happens to Elijah? Yeah, he gets food and water. has something to drink. I heard something. Very, he slept, yeah. Do you know it's the first thing that happens? He prays, God, take my life from me. and God uh, gives him some sleep. Uh, I notice, I think, three times in the passage we're told he sleeps. Anything else that happens? Travel. some serious exercise in. He goes for a walk, doesn't he? 40 days and 40 nights. Yeah. And then God asks Elijah, what are you doing here? I wonder how you read that question. What tone is that question asked by God? It's got a surprise. Whoa, whoa what, are you, what are you doing here, Elijah? Well, it's God. Of course he knows why Elijah's there. Maybe, maybe, maybe you hear God's annoyed with Elijah. Elijah, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be back up there doing the work for me. Or is God trying to get Elijah to open up, pour out what's on his heart, knowing, like like the rest of us, it's mixed up and comes with mixed motives. I think God is inviting Elijah just to pour out his heart in prayer. And it's quite hard to find a prop for prayer. Uh, So I brought some, some cards that I use as prayer prompts. And then Elijah has this pretty well-known encounter with hearing God's voice. And it might have been a small voice, but I went and found the biggest Bible I could possibly find. God says to Elijah, I'm going to pass you by. And what does Elijah see? The first thing he sees is a great and powerful wind that sends rocks flying. But we're told God's not in the wind. We're told there's an earthquake. It shakes everything. But God's not in the earthquake. Then we're told there's a fire. A fire that will have burnt up everything. But God's not in the fire. Then we read at the end of verse 13. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. It's the whisper of an almost silence. Or if you like, it's a silence that speaks. Why does Elijah have that moment? Maybe this is what reminds Elijah that it's God who's God. God's going to do things in his way. Maybe Elijah got used to expecting the dramatic. I mean, he just had fire fall from heaven. And God is now found in the quiet moment. Maybe it's a reminder to us that God does do the spectacular. But normally we encounter God through the quiet words. We encounter him in the Bible as the Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus. Even if we get the spectacular, we still need the Bible to help us understand what it's all about. But I think there's a little bit more going on uh, in this passage. Where is Elijah when all this stuff with the wind and the earthquake and the fire is happening? Where is he? He's in a cave. How long did it take for him to get to that cave? Forty days, forty nights. And then there's wind. Winds then there's earthquake, then there's fire. I wonder if you've ever watched the remake of a film. And as you watch it, you you know what's going on because you've seen the original. You know the plot line. We should be reading this going, hold on a moment. This is a remake. This is a remake. Uh, We're told Elijah is on a particular mountain, and here it's called Horeb. But the clue is, in verse 8 at the end, it's the mountain of God. This is a famous mountain. This is Mount Sinai. This is the mountain where God told Moses what he was like and what he liked. This is the place where God gave the Ten Commandments. So why does God come in this silence, in this this silent whisper? Well, I wonder if it's because he's already said what Elijah needs to hear. And he said it to Moses. And this is a moment for reminding Elijah of it. One of the most famous uh, announcements of who God is. It's repeated again and again in the Bible. And we find it in Exodus chapter 34, uh, verses 6 to 7. And the words are going to appear on the screen or you can, you can look it up in your Bibles. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 to 7. It's, it's when God says to Moses, I'm going I'm to show you who I am. I'm going to tell you who I am. And he passes Moses by and he says, The Lord... The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generations. This is Elijah's big moment of God saying, it's me who's God. If we want to know, Who God is. This is what he's like. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He's faithful. He's forgiving and he's just. It's a big this is who God is moment for Elijah. But it's also a big God is gracious towards Elijah moment. Even though he and we don't deserve it. Wind. Earthquake, fire. In this moment, well, they're, they're all destructive, aren't they? They're visual pictures for Elijah that God is just and holy, and not to be messed with. If we were living in another part of the world and you knew a hurricane was coming your way, what would you do? What would you do? Evacuate? If you couldn't evacuate. What would you do? I don't know. You see, them, kind of they board up the windows and they go in a basement. Okay, another part of the world. You, an earthquake hits. What do you do? You get yourself under a table. I don't know if that's actually helpful or not, but at least you're doing something. Or if you knew there was a fire, what would you do? Get out, wouldn't you? You would get to safety, whether it's a basement, under a table, away from the fire. And notice, in the wind and the earthquake and the fire, Elijah is kept safe, isn't he? He's kept safe in that cave. The rock, if you like, took the hit, so Elijah didn't it's a picture of what god's grace is like we don't experience it in a cave on a mountainside we experience it in jesus and jesus god himself takes the full force of his own judgment when jesus died on the cross so that we can be kept safe that's that's how god can say he's both he both forgives but also uh, does not leave the guilty unpunished What do we need to know and experience when we are feeling like drained Diane or discouraged Derek? What is it that we need to know and experience? We need to know that it is God who's God, not us. And we need to know that God is a gracious God. And those things actually are weaved through everything that Elijah experienced in these verses. Not just in the... The well-known bit of the wind and the earthquake and the fire and the still small voice of calm. It's in it's in the sleep. When we sleep, God doesn't. We need sleep. You need sleep. God doesn't. Because God is God. And sleep is a gift from him to us. He's a God of grace. Now I suspect all of us are probably far, pretty far off from farming. Farmers, we know, may plant seeds and they fertilize and they water and they harvest or they might feed and care for animals. But the growth of all those things comes from God. God is God. And He gives us our daily bread. He's a God of grace. We've been created by God to have physical bodies even if they age and they go a bit wrong and they don't always do what we want them to do. Our physical bodies tell us that God is God. We're created. He's a God of grace. When God asks Elijah, what what are you doing here? It's not because God doesn't know. God is God. Of course he knows. But he wants Elijah to pour out his heart. What's going on? However mixed up or messed up it might be. Because God is a God of grace. And God reminds Elijah with a quiet whisper of the silence. An experience that says, I am God. A word of grace that does not wipe Elijah out, but restores him. See, in our drained and discouraged moments, we might particularly need one of those things, whether it's sleep or food. Whether it's exercise, prayer, or time in God's word. Normally, we need all of them. And notice how God takes care of Elijah's physical and spiritual needs together. You see, sometimes there is a, a time when we kind of over spiritualize something and we, we don't go and look for the help that we might need. Whether it's medical help, uh, whether you're wrestling with, with kind of struggles with your mental health and getting the, the medication, the support, the counseling you might need. But the other thing we might do is just decide everything is physical and God's got nothing to do with it. And that's a misstep. We need it all one of the reasons in we're excited about building the hub community center and cafe is to be able to meet people and their whole lives and to serve them and to hear their stories and to help them to meet Jesus notice at the end of this passage Elijah is restored isn't he he's not the same man as before like every Christian he's a bit more battle scarred now but he has a deeper experience of who God is and of his grace And Elijah ends up uh, with a task that he probably never imagined taking on. Because remember, God is God. So he goes off, isn't he? He's told to anoint all these people, including a foreign king. People who would bring judgment on God's people because God is God. But he's also a God of grace. We're told there remain 7,000 who have not started to follow Baal. Because God is continuing his storyline, a storyline that goes all the way to Jesus. And a storyline that, when it reaches Jesus, then reaches out into all of our lives and speaks to us in those moments when we are discouraged, when we feel desperate, when we feel drained. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us for when we kind of assume in our heads what you must be like. And we forget to listen and be reminded that you, you are God. I thank you that you meet us in all our circumstances, but particularly in those times when we feel uh, drained and done in. And you meet us and remind us that you are a God of grace. You're a God who shows goodness to us even though we don't deserve it. And I pray maybe even this evening we might experience your uh, Holy Spirit restoring us, putting us back on our feet for the work you have for us to do. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, in a few minutes' time, we're going uh, to have time to respond to what we've heard and um, from this passage in different ways. And, and Lizzie will explain that. But before we do that, uh, we're going to respond in song. The band are going to lead us, and I invite us to stand.